Hey guys, welcome to the Life Lessons Podcast with Donna Elliott and Cheryl Lee from Now Is Your Time. And today we've got an incredible story with you for you. We're with Chrissy Wright and we met Chrissy through our friend and PR guru, Joe Swan. And Chrissy, last year at the age of just 43, decided to totally change her life. And the big thing in that for Chrissy was about changing her relationship with alcohol because she realized it was a massive crutch and through all of the things through divorce and debt and the loss of babies alcohol had always had become a real crutch hadn't it Chrissy and you just decided enough is enough and we couldn't wait to get you on so welcome thank you so much this is pretty cool thanks this is so (laughs) cool we've waited for ages to do this with you but we heard your story through Joe's group and we were just blown away by it. Like your authenticity was what really jumped out at us and talking about some taboo subjects, much like Cheryl and I, that don't really get discussed very often. Like the, the, the topics that tend to carry a lot of shame feelings for us, but you decided, didn't you, that you wanted to speak out and help other people who were feeling probably very much like you were back then. Yeah, 100%. There is, there is a lot of topics um, that I do, um, speak about within my within my journey and a lot of them are like you say they are often taboo subjects or you're often stigmatized with them and my actual crutch was every time something happened to me I would go towards the alcohol that would be my that would be my sticky plaster mm. um, but I'd often use it to excess I'd drink to excess and again with me changing my life last year um, it was peeling that sticky plaster off, but also thinking I need to do something else with my life and without the fear of judgment and stigma as well, because what a lot of people didn't know about me, my close friends and my family, they didn't know that I drank to excess. Mm. Um, because it, when did it start, Chrissy? Like, when would you say it became more of just a fun thing on a Saturday night? Because we do, don't what we say, oh, get the girls down, have a glass of wine yeah, well, or... I would, my, my journey with alcohol, I was really, really young. I was 14 years old. Um, and that was, that was my coping mechanism um, for mum and dad's divorce. They went through a really, really turbulent divorce. But it started out as underage drinking. So I'd be with the girls, you know, behind billboards mm. in the local park and caning the Mad Dog 2020, down oh the bike, all that kind of stuff. Memory. No. <laughs> pleasant ones though when you're bringing it back no, up no. my dog 2020 oh, god i'm having serious flashbacks now for yeah. anybody listening in the states that was kind of like a was it like a cider like a really fruit but it was a strong drink it was a fruity one as well really so they were different fruity. yeah they were really fruity really potent nasty oh, oh. and but cheap because you know we were kids i was 14 15 years old yeah um but And I realized then that it was the escapism. So all this crap that was going on in my home life um, between the ages of 14 and 16, um, it was escapism for me. I was always the friend that drank to excess. You know, I was always the one that it wasn't a good night unless I was throwing up and vomiting and going, yeah, I had a really good night last night. And my friends would be there going, Christine, you were real, you were stupid basically i can't right. say, say yeah. you know and they oh you can yeah oh, <laughs> you know they, they'd be the ones going 
yeah, we had a really great night, but you took it to excess because I might, I might, I'd be the one that would be wandering off on my own, and because I was so so drunk. drunk. Um, but then it also, not just that, there was obviously other trauma on top of that. Then so it was just like you know, oh, you can have some more of that shit. Thank Christine. Mm-hmm. So there was a period of my time I was, I was fifteen and I was homeless. Mum and I were homeless. Mm. And again, it was just like, right, okay, mum's dealing with her own crap because of the mm-hmm. divorce situation with my dad and probably feeling like a, a shit mum yeah. that she was too busy to deal with me. So I was kind of a bit, not unruly, but it went unnoticed the amount of alcohol that I was actually consuming mm-hmm. um, because everybody else were in their own little worlds. So and, and back then at that young age, like were you doing a thinking like I just want to be out of it, I just don't want to be worried about like what can you remember like what was your well I completely remember everything. It was like, well it my I remember thinking one one evening I was getting ready with my girlfriends because we always used to go to one particular house to get ready. And we'd it, we had we were having a bottle of um Thunderbird, it was so Thunderbird. We're having a bottle of this Thunderbird. And I was like, oh, go get some more. And I could never go to the shop to get it. I looked far too, I looked 14, if not, I looked 12. And how I got into pubs at that age is unbelievable. Because that's, when we were 15, we started going out into the nightclub scene in Leeds and things like that. I'd be wearing my sister's shoulder pads and all sorts. You know, I looked terrible. Happy days, good (laughs) memories. You know, but I remember thinking, well... I, what else have I got? My dad doesn't talk to me. My sister doesn't talk to me. I'm sat here in this crap masonette because with my mum, with an alcoholic underneath. Hmm. Um, and the only real thing that I had to look forward to were my nights out with my girlfriends hmm. um, and dancing. That was a big escapism for me as well, was the dancing scene because I've danced since I was 11 years old. Um, so again, it was just everything kind of mirrored that my... my teenage years and my well into 20s really it was drink and dance right um but I remember thinking I've got nothing else yes I knew I wanted to go to college um I also knew that I'd end up going to university because I just wanted to get away from it all so none of my friends from school went to uni I was the only one that went to university which blew their minds you know here I was this little I wasn't very clever at school I was chatty I was mischievous I was that girl Mm -hmm. and I never I never fulfilled my potential I would say within within the classroom I was Mm. too busy being mischievous and naughty (laughs) um but I was fortunate enough to go to university. And again, to me, that were a massive win because I'm thinking, well, uni, it's just party time. <laughs> and, you know, and I can get paid to go party because mum couldn't afford to send me to uni. So at that time, we were getting the grants, mm-hmm. the university loans and things. And that's really what it was. So I was literally just, it was one big party. Mm. Fortunately, I didn't go down the drug scene. Um, because like I said, going back to when we were homeless, there was so much of that around me at the time. There was drugs, there was prostitution, mm-hmm. and there was a hell of a lot of alcohol wow. um, and manipulation. So I did see all of that. Um, and, 
you know, that led into the massive sexual assault that happened to me when I was 17. And again, another reason why I wanted to just escape the town where I grew up because I thought, well, I've not got much here. It's just bad memories, pretty much good memories with the girlfriends, but Mm. shit memories on the other hand. And I thought, right. Okay. And at that point I thought, if I go away to university, I can party hard. Nobody knows me, but I can also set up another identity Mm. of not being Christine the pisshead yeah. I could be Christine the pisshead who's actually learning as well and gaining some life skills and a qualification at the end of it so you're literally what? trying to escape your life yeah at young age yeah I mean you know it's funny because a lot of my friends from school now they only know me as Christine but a lot of my friends or a lot of people now know me as Chrissy. Mm-hmm. And that was me. It was like, right, okay, I'm not being called Christine anymore. I want to be called Chrissy. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that was me walking away from that, that childhood identity. Um, and, and that's what I did. I went away to uni. I had an absolute blast. I lived in Cyprus for over a year, which was another party time. And that's, I was just chasing, I was chasing the alcohol Mm. all the time. Um, But having fun with it at that time, whereas previously it was an escapism. It was, whereas now I'd entered into my, my 19, 20, 21, it was fun. That's, that's where the alcohol turned into a fun kind of, okay. This is not as bad as it is. I don't have to drink to excess, but I quite like that anyway. So I'm still going to continue doing that. And I can have, I can have fun and be the party party girl yeah. and, and get up on the stages and dance. And because that's another thing that, that I did whilst I was out in Cyprus. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much it. And then obviously I came home Um still at university so I was in my third year at uni by the time I came back and met my husband at that point and I always vowed I'd never ever get married because of the trauma that I went through with my own parents and their divorce I never saw I never saw that white picket fence dream for me Mm. um but then I met this guy and six weeks later I was saying yes I'll marry you wow completely (gasps) all my friends were like what the hell what you're the one who was going traveling you were doing this you were doing that are you mental and he, he just swept me off my feet literally swept me off my feet and Within six months, I was pregnant with my first child and all still at university. So I was in my third year. Um, and yeah, I was absolutely having a ball. By this time, I'd quietened down. I'd kind yeah. of, I'd grown up. Mm. I, I had to grow up because mm-hmm. obviously I was going to be a mum. Mm-hmm. I was getting married. So again, my whole life flipped at that point. Um, and it was just, it was it was amazing from there. And I never thought I'd go back to uni after giving birth, but with his support and with his encouragement, I finished my degree um, and then went into work into hospitality mm. and worked my up through the ranks. Then life was good. Life was pretty epic at mm-hmm. that point. And what um, happened? 
he wasn't that great is what I found out and <laughs> um, so again he we were married for quite some time I think it was seven years and in that time I we you know we I did have that dream I did have that white picket fence dream I had my house built I had two kids both in private education by this point I'd set up my own business in floristry because I always wanted to be a florist I never knew to what extent or what vein and because he he was doing so well in his career he just went leave what you're doing and go do your floristry which he only had to ask me once I had I was running (laughs) I was running three restaurants at the time in Selfridges in Manchester and I was Mm. like I'm out of here um and that's what I mean I thought I had the fully supportive husband yeah and I I found out that he was having this bit of fun and then that's when it went all tits up and pear-shaped um and from that the whole journey of my teens my my childhood memories started to resurface came rushing back it's yeah. almost like that event triggered this memory yes. that says ah, 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 you're not white picket fence yeah you know girl and, you're party girl and a lot of it was you don't deserve this you don't deserve this because of why would you deserve it you're just this you're just this kid from batley which is this little town in york yeah um you're just this kid from you tried to be someone bigger than what you were um you were sexually assaulted so you damaged goods so why would you have all this handed to you on a plate and expect it to stay yeah Um, so I had all that plus all the all the baggage from mum and dad's divorce yeah. Um, and that just literally, I went abs- I went off. I was, I was out of control. Literally, I can't cope. Just literally that self-destruct yeah. button. Just- oh, and yeah, 100% that. And, it, you know, I think the, cat- the catalyst for it was I actually found out I was pregnant at the time yeah. when everything was kind of unraveling. Mm-hmm. I always thought he'd never do this to me. And my best friend at the time, she was saying, just check his phone. And I'm like, I've no need to. We are tight. We are solid. And she's mm. like, oh, I get my husband's phone every now and then just to keep him on his toes. <laughs> I really don't need to do that. We have such an open relationship and, you know, and everybody, when it came to light, was so shocked because they went, we would never have thought that of you guys. We thought you were solid. Yeah. Um, and I really did take it hard and mm. it was obviously after finding out that I was pregnant and I lost the baby, it was mm. lost the baby girl. It was just like, whoa, I couldn't, I couldn't take so many more catastrophic losses in such a short period of time. And yeah. that's when I tried to go, do you know what, what's the point? What is the point in being here? I literally didn't have any purpose. It was just like everything being unraveled. So, yeah. what, so what was the relationship then with like, how were you using alcohol at that point in time, and Chrissy? What was um, I by the by the time that I left my husband, because I actually left the family home. We tried to work it out for, I think it was eight months, and I it was me. There was just no way I could get. Yeah. He, he, there was nothing there with him. No. It was all me doing the work, and I just thought, you know what? I'm just flogging a dead horse here. So yeah. I actually left the family home with the boys. Um, and at that point I was drinking two, two bottles of wine a night 
Mm. Um, and I'd be the one going to the supermarket and getting the yellow labelled label sticker food for the boys or I'd be going to, it was at the time when I think the meal deals started coming round, you know, mm. just, you know, you get yeah. a pound in, and you get a bottle of wine. So I thought, cool, I'll do that. It means that's £70 a week, the boys are fed and I've got seven bottles of wine. Mm. And then, I, and I would literally be budgeting, okay, so that's seven bottles of wine for them. But if I get three for 10 bottles of wine, that's another £20 on that, that's £90. So that means I've got um, 13 bottles of wine for the week and I was literally working out my wine intake per mm. week and the monetary around, value of it yeah. around the money that I had coming in because you've got yeah. to remember as well I was self-employed and the shit hit the fan so which then meant it was detrimental to my finances yeah yeah so I literally was I was on state benefits thinking right how far can I stretch this money to buy my wine yeah. and feed my kids at the same time and you know it was just it was mind-blowing um and in my head I didn't see it as a problem it was helping me sleep I was doing this so that I could get some sleep on a night mm. um, and it wasn't until I actually went to the doctors and said Do you know what I need some help I am not sleeping so can you please just give me some sleeping pills mm. and this is the family doctor I've known since birth mm -hmm. and like Christine is why aren't you sleeping he obviously knew the story I'd spoken to him about the divorce and everything um and he says so what are you doing currently to sleep and I said well I'm having two bottles of wine the night doctor and I'm doing so blase about it thinking it's, yeah just thinking it's you know, normal and he was like, right, okay. He says, well, before I even prescribe you any tablets, he says, we're going to do some tests. He says, I want to do some, some blood tests on you. And part of those were my LFTs, my liver function tests. Um, and, and this was even before I prescribed me any medication. Mm. Um, and from that, it was found out that I did have this liver disease, um, which... It was an unknown disease. It was a relatively new disease um, called PBC. Um, it was called primary bacillary cirrhosis, I think. It's cholangitis now. I think they've changed it. Um, and I was like, right, okay. And again, even at that point, I was still drinking, even though I'd moved on to a consultant and they were going, Christian, you can't drink anymore. And I'm like, hmm. Are you sure about that? And I remember these words were coming out to the comments. Yeah. Are you sure about that? Can I just not have a glass of champagne with my brides that I'm, you know, doing the flowers for? Or can I not, can I not have champagne at the events that I'm going to? And he was going, no. And I, 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 I was blown away by this. And I, I think I then went dry for about a year. So at this point, mm -hmm. I'll have been 34 um, but by this point I'd got into a really narcissistic relationship as well. So I started drinking to hide mm. the shit that was going on in that or just to deal with him. He was quite a controlling guy. Um, 
And then because I was hiding it, he found out. So I just thought, right, I'll openly drink then. And I again started that journey of maybe a bottle of wine a night, leading up to nearly two bottles of wine a night. Um, then left that relationship because I'd kind of got strong enough at that point. Yeah. Um, so I still drinking, even though I had this liver disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I couldn't stop wasn't the fact that I felt gripped by the alcohol. I was gripped by the fear of not knowing who that person would be without the alcohol. Mm. And I, I vividly remember sat on my, my stairs in my hallway, opening the door because it led out into the garden, the pathway. And I thought, right, okay, if I stop drinking, I genuinely don't know and I envisage the person walking out the door. So I envisage me walking out. I genuinely don't know who that person walking back up the street would be. And I, I was crying for at least three, four hours over that. I couldn't, wow. I couldn't contain the emotion, the fear, the fright, the, the shame. Yeah. Because obviously I'm being told you have to stop. Yeah. And I, I couldn't because of the shame and the fear. And the judgment, because a lot of people didn't really know that I had this problem. Mm. The only people who knew were the, the controlling ex, mm-hmm. a couple of my good friends, and maybe my mum. Mm-hmm. So my bigger circle didn't know this person. They always thought there was this fun, crazy Christine, jolly, la-di-da-di-da. And I just thought, but I don't know who I would be. Would I become boring? Would I become that wallflower would I become miserable mm-hmm. would I be a shit mom um and all so these, you actually felt like the alcohol was like was, helping you be you like yeah, like that's was, because that's who you were you were I was I was alcohol but thinking I had a problem yeah this is what I speak about later on in my journey it's you know I was a functioning alcoholic yeah you know, no doubt about it. People, I mean, I remember putting a post out last year because, um, again, last year was the year that I decided to stop drinking. Yeah. Now you've got to think, I went nine years. I was just going to say, you went nine more years, though, nine, going yeah. through that. Really, that decision, albeit not the best decision around, I'd rather keep drinking and be that person mm. at some level. That was the decision. I'd rather yeah. be drinking and be that person. Cause like, that's like better than the devil, you know, mm. cause you just weren't ready to give it up. Were you? But not just that, there was also other elements of my life, which again, more trauma coming in. Yeah. And again, because I always used it as my crutch. It was like, right, well, I'll just drink, you know, I'll just drink to put up with that person. I don't like that person, but, They've got me in such a hold mm. that it makes it easier for me. I mean, I, when I, I remember being 40, mm. oh my gosh, honestly, 40 years old, dancing in bars, in clubs, on tables, mm-hmm. waking up, at, getting home at five, six o'clock in the morning and thinking, what the hell are you doing? You are not a student. You are a middle-aged woman with two children. Steady, and, steady. And a, <laughs> and a business. What are you doing? But I was so 
gripped and again I use the word grip a lot I was gripped by this other relationship that I was in and I think the whole when I do speak about my journey in my um in my talks and things like that it's all about I I became this pattern this destructive cycle of behaviors and it would it would pretty much be drink relationship failed relation drink relationship failed relation drink debt throw you know and all this kind of thing and that's the world that I was living in for probably 10 years mm. um and but because I was drinking so much and because my my oh oh what am I trying to say the confidence because my mm. confidence was so low I would just latch on to yeah he'll do because Mm -hmm. i i didn't feel worthy of a great relationship because the guy that i loved to bits and adored well he shat on me so what's the chances of me finding another guy who who anyone will do not mr right mr right now as we say but yeah the irony of it is he was my mr right i am christine right and that's (laughs) you know it's like what the hell so so yeah, it was literally, but it's, but it's, it's that addictive behavior though, isn't it? When we say, well, I'll give it up when I'm in a happy relationship or, yeah. but then we'll always find a reason I, I'd imagine to, to drink or to take drugs. If that's your cycle that you're in, you'll yeah. always, there's never a perfect time, is there? There's never a, so what eventually made you sit up and say this is not Mm -hmm. who I am like this is not how I want to spend this is not who Christine Wright is that 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 was January last year and I've always been quite a spiritual person I've always felt gut instinct but again because it was quashed with the alcohol Mm. I never really listened to it but it was one evening I was driving home um and I just looked over to my right-hand side and I thought something caught my eye and I thought, wow, I was really drawn to this particular area of road that I was on. And it was a guy who was just pacing up and down this, this bridge. It was like goes over the motorway. It was a path, footpath as well. And I just thought, I thought that's a little bit weird. And I actually drove past him. And it wasn't until I got to the traffic lights and I just thought, I need to go back. I really need to go back because that's not normal. Really? Um, And what I did is I I literally looped back round. And at this point now, he was over the guardrail, the safety rail of the motorway bridge. Um, And I literally pulled this chap back, back over. And I just cradled him for half an hour until emergency services came. And it wasn't until I was literally listening to him speak that he had a failed relationship. He's always crap with poor judgment choices. He was an alcoholic. He was grieving for his brother. I was grieving for my dad because my dad passed away six months prior to this. Um, he felt worthless, unlovable. And I just sat there cradling him. And that was like the massive big epiphany. Like what the, what the fuck? This yeah. is me. This yeah. is the male version of me. That was your mirror. Um, and that was, that to me blew me away. It was like, right girl, mm. you have to sort your shit out because you've got two amazing boys who 
think the world of you and they do they often they've said mom we've never known a stronger woman than you so you know and I'm there thinking all I do is I do my best for them but then I escape with the wine and the gin and whatever else (laughs) I couldn't get my hands on um but you know what's really interesting as well though about your stories I think a lot of people think that alcoholics or the people that will pass on the street who are drinking out of a bag, who yeah. are homeless, who are, and, and, you know, I grew up with a lot of alcoholism in my family and I identify really strongly with what you're saying because that was a lot of the patterns that I saw. But they would never have called themselves alcoholics because yeah. it was wine and it was yeah. a night. And it's almost like society and films and all that glamorize yeah. it, don't they? It's like, oh, you Well, this is wine. it. It's, you know, our, our culture, we it's socially acceptable to drink to commiserate it's socially acceptable to drink to party to you know to celebrate things a why in the day exactly. yeah <laughs> wine wine o'clock gin o'clock yeah. and it's you know obviously whilst me doing all the work that i'm doing now so going back to danny who was the chap and i say he was my earth angel Mm. And a lot of people say to me, well, you saved him. You were his earth angel. And I go, mm. actually, no. He put me on my, on my path. He put me on my track of, because I went home that night and I poured the biggest glass of gin. Mm. And I drank that and I drank another one. And I drank, I took another one to bed, which is what I also used to do. I used to take wine to bed and stuff like that. And I mm. sat there and I was really reflecting on the day. And I was just like, you need to sort your shit out. You really need to sort this out because if you carry on, that could be you yeah. on that bridge. You've okay. tried it once and fortunately you didn't do it. Who knows the second time you might not be, you, yeah. you might not be as, as lucky. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, and it is, it's that thing, you know, a functioning alcoholic, all it takes is that one big thing and it will trigger them into becoming a non-functioning alcoholic, which is where you're a full-blown alcoholic. Yeah. And the escapism is, it's just, the pit is too deep then. Yeah. You're too far in. And that's when the shit really hits the fan. Mm. Um, and so with what I do now, it's, I don't say that I help alcoholics because people automatically assume it's the ones that are on the park benches, drinking yeah. out of paper bags, the cheapest vodka. But statistically, it shows that, well, there's, there's over 800,000 dependent drinkers alone in the UK. Yeah. And 82% of them aren't getting treatment. Mm. And that's because of things like wine o'clock, gin o'clock, mm-hmm. um, Prosecco o'clock. It's five o'clock anywhere in the world. Yeah. Um, so it's normalized. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, we will all know someone who, who likes a drink but don't think that they have a problem. They think, oh, do you know what? I can just stop it whenever I want. Mm. Yes, you may be able to just stop it whenever you want, but can you stop for good? Yeah. Do you want to stop for good? And that's the difference. So with what we do um, within Habit Breaker, so that's what happened. I literally left my business, my floristry business, on the 31st of March last year, even though my lease ran out in January 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, I left my floristry business Mother's Day because obviously that's a that's a bit of a no. <laughs> <laughs> After Mother's Day, we left Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, and then we left. Yeah. What do you so, do? Like, what do you do? What do you do? And, and I want to know how people can reach out to you as well because there will be people 
who are listening to this going, yeah, yeah. holy shit, that's me. Yeah. And that's the thing. And, and I want to, I really do want to stress there is no stigma. There is no judgment because that was a big, massive thing for me. That was me being the fearful woman, not knowing what to expect. Also being in the doctor's surgery again and telling the consultant that, well, no, I don't drink anymore. Mm. Basically them trying to laugh me out of the chair going, hold on a minute, you were two bottles of wine a night. That's like 14 bottles a week. And then on a weekend, you'd go out and have gin and be partying till five o'clock in the morning. And you'd be having like 18 gin and tonics. You're telling me you stopped completely. Yes, I did. And they didn't believe, it was the disbelief. Wow. Um, and I, I really do want to stress that the programs that we offer, so it is membership. We do offer membership. So it's 28 days. 90 days or an annual membership um which is it's no hard push it's basically for you to to stop a habit you have to create a new habit mm -hmm. a new positive habit i'm not saying stop wine for drugs <laughs> i'm not saying that <laughs> yeah all. yeah stop wine for sex yeah you know. um so it's literally you know we help people do that and we, we encourage them, we coach them, we, it's all, you know, email. So there's no, they don't have to be fearful of anybody finding out, but it's all about having the fun. So yeah. that's one part of it. The other part is that we do workshops as well. So we do do workshops and we call them our reframing workshops. Reframing because, workshops. yeah, because that's what I had to do. I had to completely reframe everything. And within that is, I know we spoke about the art of forgiveness. Mm. That's massive, I, th to, I think, to go, do you know what? The art of forgiveness is so, so hard to do. That once you get over that, though, and once you develop it and you, can't, you, can, you can move mountains with mm. that. And all that is part of our process in the reframing um, workshops. And then we've got things, I'm in the process now of having a look at retreats and doing retreats, you know, so it's all quite holistic as well. Mm -hmm. So, and quite spiritual because I found a lot of my spirituality now that mm -hmm. I've stopped drinking. Yeah. Now um, that it's got, it, it, it's able to come through. Because yeah. you're not, well, drinking's yeah. numbing yourself, isn't it? You're numbing yourself and now you're opening mm -hmm. yourself up. And yeah. what is amazing is that you've spoken out and you are speaking out and you're doing so much to help yeah. other people change their lives because mm. you could have just stayed small and stayed over there and yeah. sort of doing the boys out and yeah, you, you amazing. So mean, inspirational. One of the, I mean, my biggest, I'd say my biggest success story so far is um, a lady that came to me and, but she was, her, her habit was gambling. Mm. Um, and I didn't know this at the time. And she just says, look, I'm not alcohol. I don't know if you can help me. And she was basically my bait, you know, my beta tester. So I said, look, mm -hmm. I'll put you through my program. If it helps, fair enough. Oh my gosh, this woman smashed it. So she would be going to bed, um, getting up in the morning and spending 500, up to 500 pound a morning before she even got out of bed on casinos, on gambling, on, Whoa. and she'd be going to friends saying, oh, family, can I borrow some money for the rent? Yeah. And I can't believe how proud I am of this woman now because she literally 
totally smashed it. Not only has she given up her job, she, you know, she had a really good job, mm. didn't feel fulfilled, that she left her job, she started her own business up, creating and making bespoke furniture. And that new business is far outweighing the money that she earned in her professional life. And she's so much happier now as and well. And she's so much happier. And that's the thing. It's about, right, okay, finding what you want. So your dream, it's, it's about your dreams. It's your aspirations. And that's what the reframing process is all about. Um, you know, what is it you want to change? So it's the what ifs and the whys. Amazing. So what's, what's the, like to close the podcast today? And thank you so much to the guys that have listened. And please, please do reach out to Chrissy if you, even if you just yeah. want to talk with no judgment in a safe space. Um, what's the one life lesson you would pay forward to that one person now who's listening, who's identifying with that story, Chrissy? I would, forgiveness. And I said, I've said this to you before, is learn that honestly, once you start forgiving yourself and because we all make poor judgments, we all make bad judgments and we all hold a grudge. Um, but the biggest thing for me was learning the art of forgiveness because that meant I could learn the art of forgiving the guy that violated me, forgiving my husband for being the knobhead that he was, you know, mm. we have a, we have a great relationship now. Yeah. And in doing that, it has opened it up to me so much that there's, there's no bitterness. Yeah. And I think if you live your life through purity and no, no bitter, no angst, no anger, you're going to get so much further in life and you're going to be far more peaceful and spiritual about it. Honestly, I would say learn the art of forgiveness. Forgiveness. Love that. Love it. Thank you. you are so, so inspiring. Much. Mm, thank, yeah. you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're so thank blessed you. to have met you, and we'll yeah. make sure obviously all the details are there for people to contact as well. So yes. thank you so much for sharing your life lesson, Chrissy. Thank, thank you for you. having me. You take care. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.